Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. Well, good morning. How are we doing today, Summit Church? Good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. It's great to see you today. Happy Easter to all of you. Um, I'm so glad that you were worshiping with us. For those of you that are watching online at summittogether.com or wherever you are and however you're joining us, I want to say thanks for worshiping with us. My name is Mel. I'm the lead pastor here at the Summit. So thank you for uh, making the Summit a part of your day, no matter where you are or how you're joining us today. I appreciate it. Um, so thank you. And uh, uh, man, you might be sitting here thinking, this isn't as many people as normally here when I come to church because the 930 and 11 services are usually jam-packed. Um, but it's nice to have a little bit of elbow room. But last night, let me just tell you, I'm excited. Last night we had um, about 570 people uh, for our Saturday night service last night. And we had 12 people make decisions for Jesus last night. So I was so excited about that. The unfortunate part was four of them were our staff members. So be praying for us. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, God's doing some really, really incredible things at the summit, and I'm so excited to be a part of it, and I'm so excited for what God is doing. So thank you for being here today with us. If you're a guest with us today, hey, there's a card in that seat back in front of you. It looks just like this one. It says new here. But if you would, even if you're just in town for the weekend, if you just came in and you're never coming back, I get that. If you would, fill this card out for us. Drop it off at our cafe. Let us know you're a guest. We would love just to say thank you for worshiping with us today. They will give you a free coffee uh, just for stopping by. It's just a, a token. It's just a, a gesture for us to say thank you and that we appreciate you being here. It's an honor for us to have you uh, worshiping with us today. Uh, we're starting a series today called This Is Love, and we're really going to try to demonstrate today and help us see the love of God for us. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about um, our response to God's love in our life. What does that look like? And, and next week is going to be really cool. Pastor Todd has... Um, He's kind of uh, formulated our service for us next week, and so we've got a number of different elements. Uh, I'm only going to be preaching for about 10 minutes next week, 12 minutes. Um, We're going to keep it short, but we've got other elements, videos, and and extended worship, and uh, just some dramatic pieces that are going to be really cool. So I want you to be here next Sunday. Service times next Sunday, we'll be back to our normal times at 9.30 and 11. And then the following weekend, we're going to be finishing our This Is Love series, and uh, we've got Daryl and Tracy Strawberry with us. Now, Daryl Strawberry was a Major League Baseball player. He played Um, He was an eight-time All-Star, four-time World Series champion, and he and his wife have been through a lot in their lives, in their marriage. In fact, they met at drug rehab, and so um, they have recently written a a marriage book, just basically how did they survive their marriage and what is God doing in their marriage. And so we're going to be talking to them on on the 19th of this month, and so I would love for you to be here that day, and that day our service times are at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11. So if you like this 8 a.m. service, I would encourage you to come back for the 8 a.m on the 19th. And also, we've got a bunch of cards like this one out in the lobby. So go grab some, take them to your workplace, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite your enemies. Maybe they really need Jesus. So get them here that Sunday. Um, So that's on the 19th. And I want to remind you about this as well. Uh, Ladies, on April 17th, we've got an event here for the women called Pursuit. And uh, the tickets are only $5. And so if you want more information about that, (coughs) excuse me, you can go to our website, summittogether.com and click on uh, the women's area and you'll find that. If you wanna click uh, or if you wanna go to the bookstore, you can buy tickets in there, you can buy them online. Um, So find out more information. We'd love for you to be a part of that on April the 17th. Uh, Last thing real quickly is Tuesday night. We love, one of the things I love about our church is we're not just about us. Um, We want to reach the lost. We wanna reach our community. And we're not just 
encouraging people to come here. Like we want you to invite your friends and get them here. But the truth is we want to go to where lost people are too. And so uh, we're going to be taking a number of mission trips this summer. And if you're interested in joining us uh, for our trip to El Salvador or Haiti this summer, we're going to be having a meeting Tuesday night at 630 here in this room. And so I would love to invite you to come and be a part of that. And uh, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not, committing to that. You're just finding out more information. So if you're interested in our mission trips this summer, please join us uh, Tuesday night at 630 here in this room. As I said, we're starting a series today called This Is Love. And when we look at love, a lot of us immediately go to romantic love. We automatically think of the movies and we think of the, the white horse and we think of the long hair flowing and we think of like, you know, those romantic kind of moments and the roses and the flowers and all those kind of things. And we went through a series in February called Redemptive Love. And so a lot of times we look at love from a very narrow spectrum. We look at it from a romantic level, but really love is much bigger and much broader than that. In fact, our Heavenly Father loves us like crazy, and, and he loves us with a love that's different than that romantic love. And so what we're going to do is, is look just a little bit at that love today and what that means. And, and, and so I want you, if you would, if you've got your Bible, um, you can turn with us if you want to. In John chapter 3, does anybody want to guess what verse I'm going to read from John 3? 16, that's amazing. Wow, that's shocking. I can't believe you knew that. John 3, 16, I won't stop there though. We're gonna read into verse 17 as well. So in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now that's a verse we know. If you watch sports, you know it because you see the crazy person in the crowd at the Super Bowl holding up a John 3.16 sign, right? So we're familiar with that verse at least, even if you don't go to church. Verse 17 though says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so a lot of times we approach Christ in one of two ways. A lot of times we approach Christ and say, hey, Christ died for my sins. He loves me so much that I can't do anything wrong. Like, I'm going to heaven no matter what. I'm good. And then we have people on the other side that go, okay, I get that God will let me go to heaven, but he doesn't really love me, so God's not going to love me no matter what I do. And the other person says, God's going to love me no matter what I do. And really, it's not either one of those that's true. It's somewhere in between that, that God does love us no matter what we've done or what we've been through in our lives, um, but he's not angry at us. He's not trying to crush us. God's, God's purpose for sending Jesus wasn't to squash us or to, to beat us into submission. God's purpose for sending Jesus was to reconcile us back to him. Now, sometimes the cross doesn't make sense, and especially with kids. Have you ever had trouble trying to walk your kids through the cross and what the meaning is? The other night, The Passion of the Christ was on television, and my daughter was like, my nine-year-old was like, hey, let's watch The Passion of the Christ. And I was like, I don't think you're quite ready for that, right? Like, I want her to know the story, but I don't know if she's ready for all the gory details, right? Um, it was funny, when that movie came out years ago, there was a little old lady in our church. We went as a church to go watch that movie, and um, there was this little old lady in our church. She was probably, I don't know, uh, late 80s, early 90s. And if you're in your late 80s or early 90s, you're not little and old, I promise, okay? Um, but she was sitting next to me, and I leaned over to her, and I said, when you were a kid, did you ever imagine that your church would go to a movie together, and it would be rated R? And she said, no, I can't believe we're doing this. And so, again, 
we look at the story of Jesus and sometimes we go, okay, I understand on a cognitive level why that had to happen, that he paid our pri the price for our sin. Okay, I get that. But sometimes we don't really understand what happened. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says this. It says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. See, in, in the Old Testament, the way sin was forgiven or covered was when they would bring a sin offering to God. And, and the blood of an innocent animal would cover their sins. And this goes all the way back to Genesis. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God stepped in and he said, hey, I'm going to have to kick you out of the garden. There's consequences for your sin. But then immediately following that, he took the life of an animal. And you might not remember this part, but he took the life of an animal. And he took the skin and he covered them with that. So he covered their nakedness with the skin of an innocent animal. And so this is foreshadowing to what God is doing for us today, what he did in the Old Testament through the sacrifices and what he's doing today. But the, the key difference is that in, in Genesis, he simply covered up what they were. He didn't change their condition. Because at the end of the day, they still didn't have anything on under that skin. Fundamentally, their condition was the same. It was just covered. But what Jesus did on the cross was he didn't just cover our sins. He fundamentally changes our condition. Does that make sense? And so there's a huge difference between just simply covering our sin and changing us. Because we can put on a mask, and it doesn't change who we are. It just changes our appearance. But Jesus, he doesn't just change our appearance. He changes us. He makes us different. So Jesus had to die because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So he had to die to pay the price for our sins. So we, I think we understand that on a fundamental level if you've been in church any amount of time. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said this to his followers. He said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And I love this because, again, we look at this and it's, I've got some close friends in my life. I've got friends that I love and friends that I care about. And then I've got people that I would say I would die for. And I love the people in our church, but I can't say I would die for anybody in our church. I would love to say I would, and I could stand up here and lie. I'd probably get in some trouble with God, but I could stand up here and go, I would die for every single one of you in the church. I don't know that I would, but do you know who I definitely would die for? My wife, I would definitely die for my girls right? We understand that there are people we would lay our life down for. And then there's people we'd go, eh, I don't know if I'd lay my life down for you. I've got plans next week, so I don't know if I can break those. I mean, death would be tough, so I don't know, right? But Jesus does a couple things here. Number one, he's talking about what he's going to do, that he's going to lay down his life. But two, this is really, really, really important. He, he declares them as friends. In fact, in verse 14, the following verse, he says, you're my friends if you do what I command. So he says, I know who my friends are if they do what I'm asking them to do. And well, we're going to get into John chapter 15 a little bit next week as well. But this is really important because what Jesus is doing here is he's changing the landscape of relationship with our Heavenly Father in Scripture. Because if you look at the Old Testament, there are two people that were referred to in Scripture as friends of God. One was Abraham. And it was overt. It said Abraham was a friend of God. And number two, Moses, and it was a little bit of a roundabout way, he was called the friend of God. But that is it. And, and if you were Jewish, you understand Moses and Abraham, they are on, the, they are on the, the Mount Rushmore of important people in Jewish history, right? Like they are big time. And so what Jesus is saying to his followers were 
was you are my friend. You are a friend of God. And so what he just did was elevated them to this place that they were like, whoa, this does not make sense to us at all. And so what he's doing is he's saying, I'm inviting all of you into relationship. And he's saying, and I would die for you because you're my friend. Now you're sitting here and you're going, I get it, Mel. You would die for a friend. Jesus would die for his friends. Man, I'm, I'm, I've had some problems. I've had some issues. Man, you don't know my baggage and you don't know what I've done. You don't know some of the things I've said, some of the places I've gone. You have no idea. So God would not die for me because I'm not his friend, clearly, right? Like that's his followers, but I'm not his friend. One of my favorite passages of scripture is from Romans chapter five. It starts in verse six and it says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. <laughs> Thank you, God, that you didn't just die for the people that had their junk together. He died for the ungodly, the people who were a train wreck, the people who were a mess, the people whose marriages were hanging on by a thread, the people who looked like they had their stuff together but really don't. He, that's the people he died for. He died for the drug addict. He died for the worst of the worst. But you know what? He, he died for those of us that look like we've got our lives put together, but really don't behind the scenes. He died for us. Verse seven says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, right? We just illustrated that. We've got people that we would die for, then we got some people that we wouldn't die for. It doesn't mean they're not righteous. It just means, I don't know if I would lay down my life for them. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even die. Maybe for a good person, we would die for them. Verse 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Um, a couple things I want us to look at right here. My, my wife and I, we knew each other before we started dating. Um, we, we had a relationship. We had been friends for a long time. And my, my wife had told people, people had told her, you, you need to date Mel Massingale. You guys would make a good couple. And she said, I will never date Mel Massingale. Like, we see who won that one, right? She couldn't resist. <laughs> it was just the grace of God that I married her, honestly. Um, <laughs> but the great thing about our relationship is, we got to know each other before there were any kind of uh, romantic interests. She knew me and all my idiosyncrasies and all my weirdness and all my junk. And, and I do weird things sometimes and I have weird habits sometimes. In fact, I don't know if you've ever noticed, I can't drink a bottle of water if it's got the label on it. I, I don't know why. I can't explain it. There's no rational reason why. I'm crazy, okay? <laughs> I don't know, but my wife knows that stuff. And this is the thing, my wife knows my weirdness and she loves me anyway. Not everybody will, but she does. She loves me in spite of me. And this is what God does. He says, I love you in spite of you. I know your weirdness. I know your junk. I know your issues. I know your habits. I know the sights you surf when nobody else is around. I know the things you think about. I know how you really feel about your boss, right? I know all that stuff. And I love you anyway. God didn't send Jesus to die for us when we were at our best. He sent him to die for us when we were at our worst. He said, you don't have to clean yourself up and make yourself righteous. You take on my righteousness. 
And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus and what he does. There's, there's a couple of words here in verse 9 and 10. It says, we have now been justified by his blood. And then it goes on to say in verse 10, for if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And it goes on to say, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Now these two words, justified, has a, a legal connotation to it. It's used, it's more of a legal term. And so if, if, if this helps you understand, um, if we were in a court of law, and the court, uh, the judge said, I find you not guilty of sin, and he bangs the gavel, not guilty, and then the hearing's over. Legally, we're found not guilty of sin. The charges have been dropped, you know, they can't be brought up against us anymore. So from a legal sense, we are free from sin because we've been justified by the blood of Christ. But the word reconciled has a different connotation, and the word reconciled has a relational element to it. So what it means, what he's saying here is, number one, we're found not guilty of sin because of the blood of Jesus. The blood covers us, it washes us, and we're found not guilty. But then God doesn't stop there. He goes a step further and said, not only are you not guilty, but I'm going to make you my friend. I'm going to reconcile you to me so that we can be in a relationship. Because see, in the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God in relationship. They, they had a face-to-face, -face, personal, intimate relate with relationship. And what God is saying is, I'm reconciling you back to that place where you can have a personal, intimate relationship with me. I'm not just going to forgive your sins. I'm going to make you my friend. And this is really important for us to understand. We're not just forgiven, we are reconciled. We're made friends with God. And this is a big deal for us if we look at it and really understand what God is saying to us. Uh, I don't know if you have important or powerful friends. I don't have very many, okay? And if you're sitting here thinking, well, wait a second, I thought I was important and powerful. You are, you are, I'm not talking about you. But, um, but if you have a, an important or powerful friend, it's nice because you can call them up and say, hey, can you help me out with this situation? Hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this. I'm walking through this. Can you help? And if they've got power, if they've got authority, then it's easy for them to go, yeah, I can help you out. Um, my previous church, we had a whole bunch of the city police in our church. And, and I, don't, I don't speed like normally. And we, I, was driving, I was driving down the city street um, in this town that we were in, and they had just changed the speed limit from 30 to 25 on this street, and I had forgotten about it, and I was going 32 in a 25. So by the old law, it was two over, like, and I just wasn't paying attention, and I wasn't, we were just kind of talking, and I get pulled over, they give me a ticket, and I was like, are you kidding me? It's 125 bucks, because I was seven over, and I should have known, I should have paid attention, it was my fault, but I called the chief of police up. He was part of our church. I said, listen, I will never ask you to do this again. Is there any way you can help me out? He said, I will see what I can do. And you know what he did? He took care of it. Why? Because he was able to, because he had authority. And this is what Jesus is saying to us. I have authority. I have power. I'm going to reconcile you to me. And guess what? It's going to change your level of authority and power. And in fact, if you, if you read on in Ephesians chapter 2, um, this is what it says. Ephesians chapter two, verse four through six, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So again, Jesus was raised from the dead and with Jesus, we are co-heirs, we are one with him. So we are raised from the dead as well. We are made alive together with Christ 
By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and listen to this, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And and this is really important because what this is saying is that, that we're not just alive, but when we're seated with Christ, it means we have a level of authority. We have a level of power. That all of a sudden, you're the person that you don't have to make the phone call to get out of the speeding ticket because you're the chief of police. Does that make sense? Now, sometimes we look at authority and go, well, now, I, now what can I do with that? But really, the way I want us to look at this today is not that we have the authority to do things, but that we have the authority to not do things. We have the, the freedom, if I can use it that way, we have freedom to live differently than we lived before. Because so many of us, we say, God, I love you, I want to go to heaven, I want to be in a relationship with you. But then we fail to understand that we are seated with Christ, that we have authority in him because he died, because he rose from the dead, because we're in a relationship, we are seated with him. And we have authority or freedom to live the life that he dreamed for us to live. Now, that doesn't mean that we can go crazy, but what it does mean is that we're free from sin in our lives that we're free from some of the old mindsets. We're free from some of the things that have been said and spoken into us that we have taken on and adopted and said, okay, that must be who I am. We are free from that if we want to be. Um, I've, got, I've got this very manly, masculine dog. Her name's Lulu. Um, and Lulu is a little tiny white a multi Sean. That's her. And that's an actual size. That's how big she actually is, by the way. But she's a little fluffy dog. And when we got her begrudgingly in August, it was because I said something from the stage about it. And then like there was revolt from the people in our church. We're like, buy your daughter a dog. And I was like, ah. And so I had to get her our daughter a dog. So we get her this dog and I've fallen in love with Lulu. She's a great dog and I love her. Um, so we got this routine. I'll take her outside. She's an inside dog, lap dog to the max. And so we'll take her outside and she'll do what she needs to do. And as we go back in the house, we'll go up the stairs and then she, she beats me up the stairs. So she'll run up the stairs and she'll put her paws up by the door and she's ready to go in. And so typically what I'll do is I'll get to the top of the stairs and I'll unhook her leash and then I'll open the door and she'll run in. And this is our routine. We've got this pattern down. She, we do it every time. But one of the things I realized the other day is uh, Lulu's a fast dog, right? She, she, she's much faster than I am. She's got four feet. I've got like one and a half at best. And so um, if she wanted to run away from me, she probably could. But what I realized the other day is there's a moment there where I unhook her from her leash before I open the door that if she wanted to, she could run away. It would not be difficult for her to do. It wouldn't be hard for her to get away from me because uh, I'm not that fast. I know I look like I'm a great athlete, but I'm not. I'm I'm tricking you, okay? And she could get away. And one of the things I realized is that she doesn't even see that she's got the freedom to run off because she's so conditioned by her experiences that she can't see freedom. Her experiences dictate this is what we have to do. We have to go in the house. But if she realized for one second, I'm off the leash, I could run away from this dude. He's way bigger than me. She could be gone, right? And this is what happens in our lives. Sometimes we are so conditioned by our experiences that we, we, well, we have to live our lives this way. We have to be defeated by sin. We're never going to get any better than this. This is, all that I, I'm, this is all that God's got for me, so this is what it must be. And we are so conditioned by our experiences, we don't see freedom. Freedom. 
We're so conditioned by what we've gone through. We're so conditioned about what people have said about us that we don't realize that we're seated with Christ and that we're free. And God wants desperately for us to live differently. One of my favorite verses is John 10, 10. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. This is saying is, and this is not just in heaven, this is on earth. Jesus is saying, I don't want you just to breathe in and out until you die and go to heaven. I want you to live an abundant life that's full of life and passion and vigor. And, and I want you to make a difference. I want your life to matter. But so many of us are conditioned by our experiences that we don't see that freedom. We don't see that life. We don't see what God wants to do in us. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Van, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says this, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, I don't know if you really heard what this just said. Because we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. We believe that he's alive today. And if we really believe that, and we believe this verse that just said, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. The same power that was able to resurrect Jesus from the dead dwells in you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. You have access to that same spirit. You have access to that same power, that same authority. And so today what you have to understand is you might be here today and maybe you Maybe you're that person and your marriage is, is kind of a mess. Maybe it feels like it's on life support. It's about to die. Maybe you're here and you have laid some, some dreams and some hopes to rest. And you thought, well, I'm never going to have an opportunity for that. I'm never going to be able to do that. Maybe you were called to ministry. Maybe God had a calling on your life for something. And you laid that down and said, well, I guess that dream is dead. What I'm believing today is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in you. I think God can resurrect something in you today. I believe God can raise something from the dead in you because we are one with Christ. We're resurrected with him. So why can't God resurrect maybe a spirit of relationship with God in you? Maybe your relationship with God is just dead and dry. God wants to resurrect that. He wants to breathe life into that. In Luke chapter 24, uh, Jesus had been crucified. He had been buried. And the, the ladies were going to the tomb on the third day, on, on Sunday, they, they got to the tomb. And when they got to the tomb, the stone had been rolled away. And we have the power of hindsight. We can look back at the story, but they didn't know what was going on. So they walk up and they look in the tomb. And I can just imagine the bewilderment in their mind, in their eyes, when they looked and they saw that Jesus was gone, that there was no body in the tomb. They had to be thinking, what in the world is going on? And all of a sudden, two angels appeared. And they, these girls, the ladies fell on the ground, head face first on the ground. <clears throat> and the angel said this really important thing. He said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living where only the dead reside? And for some of us in this room, we're looking for life. We're looking to be resurrected. We're looking for God to do something, but we're looking where only death resides. We're looking in the wrong places. We're looking where there is no life. There's only death. And there's one answer. And it sounds like such a Christian cliche, but there's one answer for life. And it's Jesus Christ. He is the only bringer of life. There is no activity. There is no hobby. There is no relationship. 
that can fulfill you, that can bring you life. Jesus, and that's it. So if you're here today and you need God to breathe life into you, the answer is Jesus. Please bow your head, close your eyes. God, have your way with us over these. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.